we're both in a bad mood. Well, this is going to be a delight for our listeners. Yeah, we'll see what happens. So that's why I thought I should wear the shirt because I felt like, like, it, like it counteracted the mood. Yeah, I, I made no, I made no adjustments for my attitude. I was just going to spring it on everybody, like okay. bam, okay. All the right. real us. Let's we'll do it. Let's do it. Unfiltered. I feel like we did this all through a pandemic when we lost everything. So I can't imagine just waking up shitty. Yeah. If they don't like us now for this, it's like, well, who did you think we were before? <laughs> exactly. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Two Non-Doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. We are stand-up comedians. Stand-up comedians that are currently jobless because of the coronavirus. We're finally going to be the doctors our mothers wanted us to be. Is there anything that we don't know? A lot, actually. We have a lot of questions. Uh, We have a lot of answers. All of them wrong. But we do have access to... Google. And a vet. Oh, yeah, my mom's a vet. She knows some stuff. We have to do this (laughs) So every once in a while, we're going to invite her on. No, we don't. We're going to actually use this. (laughs) Welcome to Two Non-Doctors. Hi, welcome to Two Non-Doctors. I'm Liz Mealy. I'm Maria Shahada. And we're in a bad mood. Yeah. We just, this is about accepting. I really feel like this last year is about accepting who I am and the day as it is. I've always accepted who I am. I need everyone else to accept it. (laughs) What? Is that true? Have you always accepted yourself? Uh, No. (laughs) It depends on what aspect of myself. I guess like my inability to be chipper. I think I've accepted that about myself. I've just told people I'm not fun and that felt like a relief to actually be fun. Like I would just, you know, when you like, I think comics do that in general. We like preemptively are like, we say something so you can't hurt us with it. So I'm just like, well, I'm not fun. That's how we're like, oh, we're dumb. So don't, you know, don't write in telling us we're dumb. We know. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, that's a great example. I, I've only started to accept to myself maybe in the last four to five years, but I genuinely, if somebody was like, hey, you're the problem, I'd be like, that sounds right. Well, in the <laughs> beginning, I didn't want to hear it. I was like, please don't tell me I'm the problem because I'm pretty sure I am. And then finally, I was like, oh, I, I'm definitely the problem in this scenario. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, uh, my mint has brown spots on it. I made like a lemonade. It smells nice. It's with fresh lemons, water, brown spotted mint. And then I looked it up right as like right before I sent you the link funny because you were like you ready and I was like um I'm in the middle of something so you can just sit there and wait for me <laughs> yeah, yeah I have, I'm having a mint emergency Elizabeth Jesus but yeah but they're like it's fungus and you're gonna die <laughs> and so I was like oh I drank half that that's bad did you buy the mint with the fungus or you just no okay. I just think that like my poor raising plants um I'm not really good at raising I'm not good at, I don't have a green thumb yeah. And people always tell me the right way to, to, to do it. And I go, I, you know, I, I'll just see what happens. Cause like, I mean, plenty of stuff has just grown on its own. <laughs> there were plants before I existed. That's what I'm saying. Like you're going to have to, like people had to eat somehow, some way and plants just kind of grow in the wild. They don't need me. I don't need to be there with perfect miracle grow soil and like aerating this shit and like making sure the roots have enough room and not drowning the seedlings. Like there's too much. I also like, as like a sweaty, uh, a city dweller, they're just like, make sure the roots have enough room. You're like, I don't have enough room. I don't have enough room. I live in a box. (laughs) (laughs) Just start screaming at this plant. If I can live, you can live. And they're like, and that's why you don't grow. 
<laughs> and that's why we're like the two shortest people on the planet. Oh, I meant emotionally, but yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. No, that too. Mostly, emotionally stunted and physically stunted women. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. So, so yeah, so I've, I've got poisonment. Sorry. Um, we've talked about a fung- fungus enough to know that you'll survive. Yeah. As somebody that's clearly ate fungus bread my entire life. Also probably a reason I'm not very tall. <laughs> I will blame everything on my parents, even though they're short, I will still, and I'm, I'm above my predicted height by an inch, but I, three fourths of an inch, but I will still blame them for all my Were you taller than both your parents? No, I'm not taller than both my parents, but my predicted height was uh, five foot and I'm five, uh, five and three fourths of an inch. You're overachiever. Thank you. So irritating. (laughs) Can I, can I tell you something kind of funny? Yeah. Um, So I've been, uh, you know, looking for a place or whatever. And there's this guy, this realtor guy that I've been talking to and there's paperwork that's been involved. And so my dad clearly, I don't make enough money, you know, co-signers, stuff like that. And so my dad has been on these emails. This is probably the first time my dad's been involved in my life in, in any capacity in probably over 10 years. And, you know, he doesn't live here. It's all via email. I think he might've talked to him on the phone once or twice. And this guy's scared of my father. And it was so funny. <laughs> it was so funny because I'm on the phone with him and I'm, I'm reading these curt emails that my dad's sending. And I'm the one that's going like, he'll, so, he'll send it. So, so the guy will send an email. Then my dad will respond like my dad does. And then I will go personally to my dad and be like, I'll, I'll go personally to the guy and be like, hey, can we do it this way? And let me talk to my dad. And let, so I become a middleman between this guy and my dad. And so so then I'm talking to the dude and I'm like, hey, that's just my dad, by the way. Like, just FYI. He's like, yeah, I'm terrified of him. And then I had to be like, oh, my friends are all in their 30s and 40s and they're terrified of my dad. Everybody is terrified of my dad. And just to make it all the most funny experience, he's 5'4 and everyone is scared of him. I, when I first met your dad, um, he might have said hello, but then he said, like, he said something along the lines of, like, what are the top five things you're doing today to change life? <laughs> I'm so fortunate that when you slept over, this was like, what, like eight years ago, 10 years ago, when you slept over at my parents' house, you are a morning person. And like, you have known me long enough to know like, oh, there'll be questions in the morning. <laughs> I couldn't, I was just like, oh, uh, well. <laughs> it's not like I, I didn't have an answer because I'm used to you, but <laughs> like, it was just like, oh, wow. Um, is this, do I have to answer this to get pancakes? Like, yeah. Or... <laughs> oh, I didn't know there was a riddle that was going to make me cry before 8 a.m. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's intense, but you know. He's so intense. Right. And what's really, what I've really learned is like, I am that person. Like, I think when I was younger, like almost talking about what we talked about before, I didn't want to be that person. And I was just very shy. And I, I just wasn't myself. And when I was myself, I was ashamed of it. And then through like getting healthy, I've become more myself. And it's just my father. Like, I'm just, it's just, me not hiding the part of me that's like always been there. I'm so intense. I'm, and, oh, and then I got an agent during the pandemic. So, you know, I haven't, I just met one of them. There's, a, you know, you get like, it's an agency and you have a bunch of agents. So I just met my acting agent for the first time since I got them in October. 
when they came to my Brooklyn show, but I have, you know, a booking agent. I have, um, uh, um, a, a literary agent, like a, um, script agent. And then I have a manager. I haven't met any of them in person, by the way, it's all been via phone. And honestly, we had like a zoom meeting. They picked me up and then it's mostly been email. And so this happened maybe a couple months ago. Um, they offered me like a one nighter and it was a shitty deal. Like it was really shitty, but it was like in a city that I don't really have a fan base. And so it's worth it to take the shitty deal and take the risk. And so I wrote something back. I was like, eh, this isn't great, but sure. And so then he's like, Hey, do you have a second? And I was like, Oh, sure. And he goes, and he calls me up and he goes, so I just wanted to talk about your email. And I was like, sorry, 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 sorry. And he was like, why are you apologizing? Cause I was like, I wasn't thinking. And like, we don't know each other and it has nothing. I just, I'm such a business mind person. I'm such a like, nah, like what, you know what I mean? Like immediately I knew. And he was like, okay, I just didn't, he was just like, it just seemed really dismissive. And like, and I was like, did not mean it. That's not who I am. Yeah. I was like, but you know me, like if, if it's like, I don't know somebody, it's like, hi, how are you doing? I hope you had a great day. I saw this. I'm not really sure if I understand this. I don't, it doesn't seem like a great deal, but I was like, nah, like, like just like this, like, no, because I was just in business mode. And that's how my dad is. My dad's like, I'm not doing this. No, nah. And like, but I, and like now, and it was so funny because he was like, you know, it's so funny. He's like from, cause he also like called me when I was doing a podcast at first. So he got my, my voicemail and my voicemail is like, don't leave a message. I hate messages. So he's like, between your act, knowing you a little bit, and then starting to receive emails from me, he's like, I think you're a very nice person that doesn't have time for bullshit. And I was like, I was like, thank you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I really, I'm very fortunate that I have so many people in my life that accept me as I am. But as new people come into my life, I'm like, we need to warm them up. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'm pretty current in emails just with everyone. I remember you had to tell me to like go, you took my email and you were like, this is okay, you're going to need to add, hi, how are you? Because <laughs> I've had to learn that because yeah. I write, I write emails like, like I'm grateful my dad taught me this, but like, well, he taught me to tone it down. But in general, I write emails like I'm a CEO of like a multi-million dollar corporation. I'm just like, we're not doing that next. <laughs> like, yeah, Jesus, Liz. So yeah. I always have to reread it and like soften it because who I am is such a like, and I, I read and write emails in a, get it out of the way, get it out of my inbox person. Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm the same way. And I wish more people were just like fine with that. Um, I think Sweden's like that. If I remember correctly, like you don't have to be formal. Like you could just say your, your, your piece. And in some way, text messaging has, taken out some of the formality. You don't have to sign your name. They know it's you. Like there's this kind of like, Hey, are you, are we meeting later? Like there's a little more casualness that's gone into it, but like email still has a formalness to it. And then also there's just, especially this last year, but just in general, there's so many relationships that are built on never hearing someone's voice, never actually knowing who they are. Yet you have this like, I've never heard my agent's assistant, but I talk to my agent's assistant more than I talk to him. And so we're like, I'm like, you're, I'm like, Joanna, you're a gem. Like, da, da, da. And she's like, that was the best thing that happened to me all day. Like, we're very nice to each other. I couldn't tell you anything about this woman. It's all been via email for almost a year, but like, that's where it gets like weird. Yeah. 
Like, do I hug her when I finally meet her? Like, no. she's been amazing. No. <laughs> best not to, just best not to. No, but I remember you, you said I was um, perfection once for something. And I was like, I still hold that in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it though. When somebody saves my life in that sense, or like, it, it, like, I also love efficient information. So when somebody's like, and they just solve my problem and it's like that, I'm like, gem, you're a gem. Yeah. Announcements? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Patreon people. Thank you so much. Thank you for everybody that uh, gives us, um, supports us. We appreciate you. If you don't know, um, you can get weekly bonuses from us. You can get monthly bonuses from us. Uh, you can get stickers. You can get early access to videos. You can control our Googles. You can be a Google guest. Um, we get, uh, signed books, stand up. There's tons of benefits. Um, so uh, join our Patreon. And uh, if you have time, please leave us a rate and review because it helps us out a lot. It helps us get seen. We feel good. We post it on our socials. And um, thank you to everyone who has left really nice comments. We love that. Uh, and if follow us on the socials, you can follow us at two non-doctors, the number two forward doctors on Twitter, um, Facebook, and YouTube, and then at two non-DRS on Instagram. Yeah. And then uh, personal stuff. Uh, Maria told you my book is out in the UK. So it's been out in the US. It's finally reaching the people over overseas. So if you haven't got my book, get my book and then also leave a rate and review. Um, but touring wise, you can see me and Maria at the Arlington Draft House in Arlington, Virginia, July 9th and 10th. Go get tickets. Go see us uh, be hilarious. And then I just added a couple of dates. I have tons of other dates. Oh, I'll also be in Cleveland at the end of July. And then I just added Chicago and Austin. Um, all the information's on my website. Sweet. And mine too, mariashahada.com. Yeah. Um, fan mail? So we have a YouTube comment. So little on my phone. Let's try it. <laughs> So it's from Kijin and they say, I'm confused by the tapping for a different reason. There's a very similar st stress relief system that might even be the same thing slightly modified based on how most land living mammals relieve themselves of stress running. Running does so partially in the same way that all sports do, except that it's the most natural form. Accordingly, our bodies appear to be optimized for relief in that manner. It's not just the physical effort alone, but also the rhythm of the feet hitting the ground, causing a tapping impact. That rhythmic, rhythmical tapping is said to have a very strong stress relief effect. Where it gets into the same territory as the tapping you referred to is the some people claim you can get uh, basically the same effect by just ryth rhythmically tapping on your upper thighs with your palms, um, initiating the running rhythm. Other body parts seem to be receptive for that simulation too, but I never heard about the face before or forgot about it. I know therapists who are working with this system have personally been taught um, there isn't much to learn how to do that a few years ago. Can't claim I noticed a huge effect, but I also performed it frequently. I also never performed it frequently enough. Sorry, I'm like, it's so small on my screen and I'm moving it back and forth. So I'm reading like really choppily. Anyway, tapping the face just sounds like someone wanted to make it even easier than it already is. Doesn't seem trustworthy unless acupuncture is real. If puncturing nerve centers is helpful, tapping then might also work, question mark. So who is this? This is Kitchen on YouTube. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, the running aspect of it, I completely agree with. I mean, I've used running as a stress relief and as an anxiety relief, probably most of my life. I mean, 
as somebody that did gymnastics forever and you know, all that is a big part of gymnastics. And then after I quit gymnastics, I got into running and then clearly I got like super into running. Like I, I've always used it as, um, a stress reliever. I never thought of it in a rhythmic sense. Like I never thought of it. It is very like, I know people that have called it boring. I know people that are just like, I just, you know, I don't enjoy it, but like, I think the boring aspect is what I like about it. Like it is like, you do get into this kind it's like, A, it's simple. There's not really much to be taught. I mean, you can actually get better at it. And there are things that you can be doing to be more efficient, but just in a, I'm going to go do an exercise or I'm going to go do something like, you know what I mean? Like once you know how to walk, you don't really need to teach much more to anybody. And it's like a great equalizer in that sense. But I, I don't know. I, I, one, I didn't know animals used running as a stress. Like, although I feel like I should have, right. Like my cat's doing wind sprints at 3am. Like, did they say the animals based on how land living mammals really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they, so they're like, I didn't know that was like a fun fact about animals that they use running as a stress relief. I thought they like, I don't know. I've maybe lived with my cat too long that I'm just like, I don't know. She sleeps a lot. Um, I always just thought the running was like, Oh God, wake up. Wake up pasta (laughs) in bed for seven hours. I I do think acupuncture um, is real and, and has benefits and I've experienced it myself. I know tons of people that have experienced it. So I, I think a lot of people, when we did the tapping episode, were a little more like, why does it have to be on the meridian line? Like, mm. why specifically does it have to be in that order? So I, I do wonder if just tapping in general. Yeah, people tapping all over the place. Some people are here, other people are here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can't just be tapping, freestyle tapping. Um, yeah, I, I think you even looked in like, why does it specifically have to be along the meridian line? And it didn't, did say anything just to release like that energy, like the, the flow of chi. Yeah. You have to like buy into that first. Yeah. I get that from what I experienced in my one day of tapping <laughs> was just that it almost is like almost kind of how, cause we're, our topic today is EM, our, uh, EM, is it EMDR, EMRD? EMDR, I think. I rapid I move in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote it differently. Cool as I dyslexified it. So our topic today is EMDR, but it, the same way that they're using, and we'll go into it, but they're using eye movement as a way to kind of distract you to make talking about your trauma kind of be processed differently. There's something about tapping that I just found it like I almost disturbed, like I couldn't even focus. Like I like I just felt like someone's like there's something about it that's just distracting or something just- about it that's calming the same way that you know like if you want a, a baby to sleep you put them in the car and you take them for a drive or you put them in the stroller funny, and i just, just thought of that same image when we were talking about rhythm rhythm with like running it's just like how like um like when i was a child like being in the back of a car used to make me fall asleep it was so relaxing yeah as soon as i'm on the subway i'll try to read and i'm like passed out on the subway because <laughs> it's just like there's something you know it's the dirtiest place in the world and it's so calming. Yeah, it is so calming. <laughs> <laughs> there's literally people screaming and there's like shit on the walls. And I'm like, oh, I feel like I could take a nap. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I mean, there's a lot of logic to that. And I, I think that's how I've always used running. And I do wonder, I mean, they say so much about your feet. Like, I also wonder with like the barefoot movement in running where you're like now, like your foot is truly touching the earth or, or there's less of a barrier if you're wearing like the thinner shoes. 
I don't know. That always seemed crazy to me. But yeah. Um, okay. So there's something to rhythm and tapping. Ooh, I wonder if that's why my misophonia gets triggered when people don't realize they're doing it. Oh, yeah. Because I like any kind of tapping, repetitive movements, just seeing it, seeing the twirl. I don't know. That's so weird because you hated tapping and I'm just putting it together that that could be. I'm literally just putting that together. I'm just I'm like, putting it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You like were so anti-tapping and I was like, what a crazy person. And then I'm on screen like that. <laughs> I know, but it didn't trigger my misophonia. I just, I just think it looks stupid and I don't see it helping. But um, uh, I, I feel like you could probably get the same effects doing something else that probably makes more sense. Yeah, I, and, and I, some of these are just finding out what other people like, I've always used this excuse that I don't meditate because I run and I find it relaxing and I find it um, stress relieving and, and helps with my anxiety. Clearly it's not the same, but I'm getting some form. I'm getting something from it. So I think if somebody gets something from tapping, you might get it somewhere else from doing something like, you know what I mean? Like everything is kind of close and, and it, it's what people, people's comfort level, I guess. Yeah, but that was a, that was a good that was a good uh, YouTube comment. Thank you so much. Google's. Yeah, you want to go first? I'll be sure. I but I didn't really get an answer for this. I wanted to know. I didn't get one from mine either. Oh, I had a really unsatisfactory Google today. Me too. I wanted to know why um, your first cup of coffee tastes so much better. Not even just the first cup of coffee, but morning coffee. But mostly your first cup of coffee tastes so much better than afternoon coffee. Like I often find that I'm, I'm, I'm making the afternoon cup for the ritual, but not like I never drink it. I never finish it because it's never as good. Oh, it tastes- I wonder, hmm? I was going to say my first inclination before you even say, like say any research is the way people talk about your, um, about steak, how the first bite of steak will never be as good. Like it, the, it, it, it's diminishing returns. The first bite is the best. The second bite is the same. And like, by the time you finish it, you're like, I hate this. Well, okay. I don't know anyone who's finished a steak and gone. I hate it. <laughs> not that you hate this, but it's just not, it's not, it's not nearly as satisfying as the first couple of bites. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, that was one theory. Uh, yeah. So somebody said that same thing. It was just like the first one um, is good. And then somebody said, because it like, all forum answers. No, I don't think any article or studies or anything. I didn't find anything. There's like no that. studies on why the first cup of coffee is the best cup of coffee. It seems unlikely, doesn't it? But all I found were forums. Especially with this coffee world where everybody, it's like coffee, drugs, or coffee. actually it's coffee, alcohol, it's like coffee, cigarettes. drugs. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying it's like what makes the world go round. Fuck <laughs> off. Yeah. Yeah. You can't hear my accent. Although I went to uh, this a vintage store, more like a junk store, honestly. And I was checking out and the guy goes, Jersey. And I go, yeah, he goes Philly. And I was like, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> like, it was just like, I've never had somebody he, just like. I love that he guessed an entire state. Yeah. And especially because I'm, I was closer to Philly that I think also like certain words that I use, like, uh, like hoagies is like, uh, like there's certain things that you can tell where you live in the state or even on what coast or where you grew up just by like, instead of saying subs, you might say hoagies or, you know what I mean? Like, mm, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I must've said a word and he was like, Jersey, Philly. 
and we bonded in a junk store. He said nice. Philly in Philly. No, 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 no. This was in Brooklyn. Oh, oh, I thought you said I was closer to Philly. No, no, no I'm, I'm saying where I grew up was closer to Philly. Oh, I see. Okay. So I think he probably was like, I, I hear my family. In your okay. Mouth. All right, cool. Anyway. I'm so unimpressed with this guy. I'm like, well done picking an entire state that you're from, but that's fine. <laughs> Philly. So. Um, if you're done making fun of there's my accent. like the only state you can do that with too. Cause like within Pennsylvania, there's like 17 different accents. Okay. So, so one of them was, um, you, you, you veered off course. You were making fun of me. Because you veered off course. <laughs> you started telling a story about being in a vintage shop and someone guessed. Because it. you were making fun of my accent. That's on you. I take <laughs> zero responsibility. Oh, because you just kept saying coffee. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> my fault. Yeah, no, that one, I most of them I'll accept. That one wasn't me. Continue. <laughs> so one person said, oh, like the coffee. So the first cup in the morning, like your sensors are all clear because you've been sleeping and stuff. And, um, but then like every sip, like because of the heat and because of like the caffeine maybe, but like it'll dull your taste buds a little bit more. So throughout the day, it just gets more dull and more dull. But also uh, because caffeine is a drug, so that first cup of coffee, you're getting that drug after a uh, long period of time. And also, so a very satisfying sip, sip of coffee. Also, there's like the half-life of all drugs, which is, you know, the more, so in the general sense of doing, co doing coffee, I do coffee, <laughs> I do. Uh, the, the general sense of just doing a drug or doing coffee it is the diminishing returns of over time. But I think throughout the day, it becomes, a, it's, I learned it in science once and I didn't maintain all of it, but there's like a half-life that like it, somebody explained this better. Yeah. But that makes, that actually makes sense to me. Okay. Yeah. Cause I was really trying to like figure out why the flavor just tasted different in the afternoon. And I'll accept the taste buds thing. Cause I think like maybe it does dull your senses or, or whatever, but. Um... Here's something like that clean palate. Like you just woke up. Most people drink their coffee before they even put anything else in their mouth. Like they don't eat anything. So it's just like, you literally like first thing. And, yeah. and then you have the caffeine that kind of wakes you up. And then you go like, you've had so many different tastes and you've done so many different things. So by the second cup of coffee, it's like, you're not even who you were before. You're a whole different person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Cause it's just, I just, yeah, I don't like the afternoon cup of coffee. I still make it. Yeah. I wonder if tea is the same way. If I, I, was kind, I was kind yeah. of thinking that cause I make a cup of tea in the morning and then if I'm still tired or if like I'm cold or whatever, I'll make another one and I never finish it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But then I started making evening tea, but not like, not like herbal tea, still black tea. Well, like yeah. I'll take black tea in the UK. I mean, English breakfast, or maybe you don't say English breakfast. No, that's a tea. That's a tea I drink is English breakfast. I know, but in the UK, do they call it English breakfast? I don't know. I think they might. It's called breakfast. It's just, it's just, yeah. Breakfast tea in the evening. <laughs> and then with um, a rebel, what a rebel tea. with your breakfast tea in the evening. I, I love it. Oat milk and honey. I, I start putting honey in my tea. I become you, Liz Mealy. And then I pee in the middle of the night now. Yeah. <laughs> Too much caffeine late at night. We can't yeah. handle tea. No. Nope. <laughs> oh, I'm excited to be on the same schedule. Yeah. What did you Google? 
I Googled is being satisfied with finishing things a part of OCD. Mm-hmm. Two reasons. One, I, this was like a conversation months ago with my, my friend Amanda, but I was like, I literally was like, is this weird? I was like, I get very excited to finish a toilet paper roll. Like I find it satisfying. Like as soon as, and especially cause I, um, you know, I still use real, they're not our sponsor anymore, but I, I still use real toilet paper and they don't, they don't glue the paper to the roll. So when you finish it, it's just a clean roll. I know that sounds so crazy, but it's like, there's no paper stuck to the roll. It's just Actually, a clean cardboard yeah. roll. And I find it very satisfying. And then it's just like, I get excited to, you know, throw it in recycling. And I just, I don't know why, but like finishing a toilet paper roll is very satisfying, but I feel the same way about beauty products. And I squeeze every last thing of toothpaste and, and, and lotion. I'm like, I'm just like, it's clean. It's like a, a dog licked it clean, clean by the time I, um, and done something people with the toothpaste um that little device that like you slide over it to like get you are (gasps) i was joking and and then i cut it open oh my god no i'm crazy what like why it's that so i my dad's definitely ocd but I, i think it's growing up not having money like i think that like both my parents growing up without having money and then us growing up without having money like it's this like you get every inch of it out but I also think it's this OCD thing of like, like, I don't know. All I know is that like, she put that in my head. I never connected it to my OCD, but I do know that like, I don't know. I just, it makes me happy. Like yeah. it's, it's not even like, I just, like I finished like three things this week and I got joy from it. Like, like this yeah. vitamin C thing. And do you know, what has been starting to drive me crazy lately and it never drove me crazy before is like when you know, like living with people, like when um, soap is getting low, buy a new soap, but they just start using the new soap instead of finishing the old soap. That makes me crazy. It's, it's driving me it's, nuts now. I'm breaking the rules. Yeah, <laughs> that's rule breaking one hundred and one. That's insane. <laughs> you know when you have a bar of soap because I like bar of soap for like body soap. You know when you have like that little sliver. Mm-hmm. I use it until it no longer does what it's supposed to do. And then you kind of just like glue it on to you like soap glue it yeah. <laughs> to yeah, the yeah. next thing and it gets used, but you finish, I finish everything. The worst is when you lose it down the drain and you're like, no, I was using that. Like, okay. So that's a good question. So if you do lose it down the drain, like how it is done, <laughs> Yeah, but it's not satisfying. Like <laughs> it feels like I fucked up. So I looked it up and really all I could find, I found one like blog that was like, um, call, it was called my weird obsession with finishing things. Mm. And she, she kind of said the same thing I've just said. And she kind of associated it with OCD, but it was like super inconclusive. I read a bunch of OCD stuff, a lot of stuff that we talked about in our OCD episode, but nothing that was along the lines of finishing stuff it was really just something my friend told me and then I found a blog so it's all pretty opinion based but like it it doesn't matter it's not it's not because like what you have to remember about some of these disorders is that there are parts of my OCD that have caused me harm and have been detrimental this doesn't feel detrimental it just feels silly yeah if anything it brings me joy because I really do like it's a toilet paper roll. Like, why is that so satisfying to me? But it's like, 
Does it drive you crazy when someone throws out a toilet paper roll with like that glued bit still on? I do pull off the glue bit. Like I make like that, like if there's like, you know how like it's like, yeah, because it's- What do you do with it? I use it. There's nothing to use it on. Well, it's with the rest of it, but like, I'm not using just like one little glued bit. If I were over and I threw that away and I had a little bit of toilet paper left on it, glued on it, would you pick that out of the trash can? And I knew I didn't even recycle. And I know that's bothering you. Would you pick that out of the trash can and use that little bit of paper? I wouldn't pick it out of the trash can, but I would like, like a little notch would go next to your name. That was like, <laughs> cannot be trusted. Hold it against me forever. <laughs> or have you ever seen somebody like their toothpaste is just like mangled. It's just like squeezed and whatever. And oh you're like, God. what are you doing? What are you, and they throw it out and you're like, dude, that was like, there was like 10 more toothpaste brushings from that tooth. Like that's insane to me. Or, you know, what used to drive me fucking nuts. I had a friend stay with me. This is like 15 years ago. I was in a dorm room and he needed a place to stay. And he stayed on our couch for two days. And he was like, Hey, can I like make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich or something? I'm running out the door. I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he makes a sandwich and then the extra peanut butter, he just threw it in the sink. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you either wipe the extra toilet, not toilet paper, extra peanut butter on the, the, on the peanut butter jar. You know what I mean? Like you have this extra oh. stuff on your, on your knife. You wasted all you that peanut butter? You either recycle it or you lick it off the knife when you're done. Like, but he- so Like how much? Was like the, the, the dip of the spoon, was that full? No, it was a lot. It was a lot. And it was like, and I know he was raised, like he was one of five and he didn't have any, like his parents didn't have money. So he was raised as somebody that didn't have a lot of money. And I was just like, it was, I was like horrified. I was like, what? Who? I remember like an, an episode or two ago, I got crunchy peanut butter on accident and you, you told me to blend it. And this is all starting to make sense now. <laughs> <laughs> we don't waste things. <laughs> well, I wasn't going to just throw it out. I did give it to my No, father. you did. You gave it to somebody else. But like, I'm a, when I fuck up, I try to figure out how to, un, to, to like make it work so that I, because in my mind, and I'm really actually learning how I am with money. I'm very calculated. And as I actually think why I'm a better, better budgeter than most people. So like my, my roommate, he was asking me how I budget. And I was like, well, everything is about rent, especially because New York city has high rent. So I know what my rent is. And then once I make enough money, like I have enough gigs in my calendar that hit my rent, I can kind of like clearly have much more expenses, but that's the biggest expense and I can calm down. So if I hit one gig and it hits my rent, I'm like, doof. But if it's like, okay, on, you know, June 1st and June 5th, that's enough money to hit rent. Then I'm just like, okay, but I don't stop pushing until rent is made. And then everything else is like, I'll figure it out. I have savings. Da, 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 da. But he was like, oh, I don't do that. I was like, what? Like, so the same thing with, okay, I spent three pounds, $3 on some peanut butter that I don't, I don't want. I could be mad at myself or, you know, another way is to give it away to somebody else and it goes to a good home. But the other way is how can I use it? How can I hide it in things so that it gets used? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And that's just because financially I spent the money and the only way to not be mad at myself, the same way that during the pandemic, you know, I, I just bought my first monthly Metro card, but, um, I wasn't buying monthlies because we were barely taking the subway. So I started walking everywhere and I would calculate that I saved two seventy five, 
and is that a lot of money to me? No, but it does add up and, and I am very calculated with my money. You Are see. you telling me you can't tap into the subway still? You can, but you get benefits. It's not the same as the UK. You don't get like your, you can't tap your way into getting a weekly or a monthly. Oh. So if I am, so like I have tapped when before things started to really open up as a, just a way to go because I'm only going to use the subway twice this week. But now that I'm using it almost every day again, I'm back to a monthly card. Dude, could you imagine like when there was tokens, you'd have to have like a token pouch. Uh, yeah, to have- I remember that. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's tokens until I think I came here for, uh, there was tokens when I was still in high school. So I still use tokens. They were, I think you could also use the Metro card, but I didn't, you know, I came into the city on the weekends, but yeah, I wish I kept some. I know you can yeah. buy them at like the museum or whatever, but I, I- remember using tokens. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. up until like five years ago, they still had signs that said no tokens. And I'm like, I haven't seen a token in 15 years. Yeah. <laughs> like, who, who is this for? Just like some old New Yorker that hasn't left the house in 15 yeah, years? Surprised. I'm sure. Like if you talk to somebody who worked at the subway booths, they'd be like, oh my God, these old people come in with their tokens all the time. And <laughs> I can tell them <laughs> like this shit doesn't mean anything anymore. <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. And just like people picking up tokens off the ground. Yeah, I wish, man, I wish you just don't think about it, but I wish I kept some tokens because it is kind of cool that I was like part of a generation that used tokens in the subway. Yeah. Uh, okay. Personal. Our, our Googles are inconclusive and not based on science. Um, <laughs> let's get personal. Yeah. What motivates you to work hard? Um, shame. <laughs> Sorry, the way you said it was like so like adorable. Shame. Yeah, shame. If I if I if I like for instance joke writing, I write because I'm like, well, I can't have these people saying seeing the same jokes again. So I'll write. But also, actually, do you know what actually motivates me to work hard is seeing results. Like um yeah. like it's really hard for me to get into yoga. And then I go and I'm tired after. And it was hard and it took a big chunk out of my day, just traveling and being there, it's expensive. And if I don't see results right away, it's really hard to keep up. But if I just tell myself like, you'll see results, you just have to get through this part. And then I get through it. And then I get to the point where I'm starting to see results. Oh man, like nothing will stop me from going. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If I feel like somebody's paying attention, like when my new agent was like, oh, I like this treatment, do you have the script? And I was like, no but I'll have it to you in three weeks. <laughs> you know, it's just yeah. like paying attention. Like I can't do it for myself, but if, if someone's paying attention, I can. It's not great. I mean, I relate, but I can't imagine that's the way you're supposed to do things. No, you're supposed to, you're supposed to write like 10 scripts on your own, whether someone's asking or not. And I know that. And I try, yeah. but like what really motivates me is when someone's asking. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. You know, it kind of depends on what I'm working hard at. So like, if it's stand up, I'm working hard because it makes me feel good. Like I genuinely like to do it. Like school, when it was school, I worked hard because there were, there was punishment. I would lose freedom. Like if I didn't get good grades, I couldn't leave the house. So it's like school working and I worked hard in school and school was really hard for me. So school work was completely based on punishment. Stand up, I found so interesting because it was completely based on satisfaction and reward and, and, and hope, you know what I mean? Both, both early on and now where like I'll work on a joke and I'm tired and I'm not in the mood, 
but I'm doing it because if it works out, it feels so good and I'm so excited and I care about it. And so like, it's weird to see who you are when you're motivated because you want to do something and who you are when you're motivated by fear or punishment or satisfying somebody else's needs. You know, the same way that like when you do the dishes for yourself because you like a clean home or you do the dishes because you don't want to be yelled at. Like, so I feel like with stand up, I'm very much motivated just because I like doing it and I love doing it. And even when I don't like doing it, I can push myself to do it. And then in doing it, find out I still love doing it. Like there, it it, kind of is always there, but like, I think working out, some of it is shame. Some of it is uh, remembering a time that I did like it. Some of it is uh, fear. Some of it is junk food. You know, there's like my motivation to work hard in different areas is so all over the place. But I I think most of what motivates me into the point where I keep doing something consistently is enjoying to do it and like pleasure, which I think is the right motivation because they there's actually a ton of studies that show motivation based on fear or punishment will get people to do it, but only for so long. And, yeah. on, and only to a certain level. So here's a good example with, with school. I did what I had to do to get the A, but I didn't learn. And once I got the satisfactory response, I stopped. As opposed to, let's say stand-up was being graded, I would, I would get the A and I would go further. You know what I mean? And I would keep pushing myself and, and I would do extra work because I wanted to do it. Um, and I clearly know my jokes and, and they're memorized and they're there forever, as opposed to who knows what I took in, in high yeah. school. But you were getting the A for freedom because yeah. you wouldn't have been allowed to do what you wanted to do otherwise. So that's also a good motivator for you. Like money is freedom. Um, to make money, you have to do certain things. And, and like, I say that, like, you, you know, what I'm saying like to make rent, you have to do this many shows and, uh, you will find those shows so that you can make rent so that you can do what you want. (laughs) Yeah. But like, think of it this way. Like I do a bunch of like no money and $10 shows, like shows that don't really matter. Um, But I do that because I can do new material and that new material gets stronger. And I like working on new stuff and I like building my hour. There's definitely gigs that are a hundred percent motivated by, I have to pay my rent, but those are becoming less and less. They've become, most of the gigs I do are because I want to do them. I feel lucky that most of my hard work is based on pleasure. Like I want to do it. Yeah, that's great. Um, I don't think a lot of people can say that. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think most people, I, I really think most of it is fear or need. Like I have to, like you said, to pay my rent. I have yeah. to, to feed myself. Topic? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So this was motivated. um, So our topic is um, EMDR and it was motivated by the fact that a bunch of stuff that we have done research brought it up. And then um, a couple of weeks ago, we had a a fan write in telling us that they have done EMDR and they, it was really helpful to them. And I think we've both just been really curious about what exactly it entails. So we thought we'd do a a deep dive. And after, this is what's crazy. After I did all this research, I texted uh, a friend of mine um, who's been done a little bit of therapy, but has been a little more therapy um, resistant. And I go, Hey, I just learned about this. And I think this might be for you. And the way I kind of set it up to her was just like, cause she's had a, cause this is 
what you really learn is that this is more for like a traumatic event or a couple of traumatic events. And like, I kind of was like, I was like, I've been in the, I'll just talk forever therapy. You know, I've been in, you know, I've done this forever and I, it has benefits and I enjoy it, but I think she's more a like do it and get over it. Like, you know what I mean? Cause this is talks about like, this is like, they basically say six to 12 sessions. Why do you think that that's like, they're more for this? Like, what is it about their personality? Um, so she's like one of my close friends from high school. She, one, she's very pragmatic and she's, I don't want to say this in a negative way, but she's just more closed off. And I, I just don't think she's, I think one of the barriers for her to get into therapy is that there's a lot that she's holding in. And I don't think she wants to do the work and I don't think she's, or she's not ready to do the work. I don't want to put words in her mouth, but I can see her resistance being, I don't want to sit and tell somebody my life story. So this isn't sitting and telling your life story. This is, I had a traumatic event. This is mostly used for like PTSD and you go over the event and we'll kind of go through the motions of it, but you go over the event and the the goal is to get past this event. It's not to find out why you hate your mother or why, you know, you cry sometimes it's you know what I mean it's it's a very it feels like a pragmatic therapy like this is the goal let's solve it let's heal from this Mm. as opposed to talk therapy and and um cognitive therapy is it's it's a journey and you keep getting deeper and deeper and you keep learning and learning and I I'm not saying that she might not get there and I'm not saying that that's something that she has to do but there's a part of me that knows she needs to get past a certain event and this might be the easiest and um less of least evasive way for her to get there maybe not least evasive because it, you really do go through a trauma you talk about your trauma but like it just feels like an easier step for her i don't know if that's true but it made me immediately think of her while doing the research okay and i like sent her some youtube videos that i had seen well let's talk about what it is okay so it's so just to break it down, EMDR, it's an interactive psychotherapy technique used to relieve psychological distress. And basically they feel like it's an effective treatment for trauma and PTSD. And so basically a therapist is going to direct certain eye movements while you go over events or moments or, or uh, stuff that you remember. And um, I can break down They basically say like it's less emotionally upsetting recalling distressing events when your attention is uh, uh, diverted and they believe it's believed to lessen the impact of memories and thoughts that you have. And it's kind of funny. I, while I was doing the research, it kind of reminded me of um, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Yeah. So it's not the same, like it's not erasing your memory. It's what it's really doing is through these rapid eye movements and talking about this distressing event it's lessening and lessening the impact. So like, you know, you'll get triggered by something. Let's use like kind of war PTSD, like, like um, uh, uh, an engine backfiring might sound like a gun and it might send you into this triggered memory and you might start recalling stuff that you didn't even know. And it's, it's haunting and, and horrifying. And so you would do this. And so each time, it has less and less of an impact so that if you do hear gunshots or you hear something that sounds like a gunshot, you no longer have this visceral um, uh, trigger that takes you into a moment without your uh, uh, conscious ability. You might not even have any reflex about it after a while. And they said that 
not only right after the sessions um, or after completing the sessions has it had an impact, but even six and um, 10 months later, people have still maintained that effect from, because they really tell you like somebody goes through something traumatizing and if you never process it, you'll always have those triggers. I've been confused by the word process it. Like what is mm-hmm. processing it? So my understanding of processing, and I think it's different depending on what the event is, is it's actually understanding and feeling your feelings. Like, so what's hard is when something really scary and horrific has happened, why would you want to go through that again? Why would you want to remember that? So I think innately something bad happens and you do everything you can to hide it from your memory. But the hard part about it is that things either conscious or unconsciously will pop up and trigger you. And sometimes, you know, a backfiring of a a car, which you wouldn't normally think sounds like a gun, but your brain is like, that sounds like a gun. And it will send you with, without you even consciously wanting it to into this flashback, into this, um, you know, your heart palpitations, like all these effects that of somebody that's been triggered or going through um, a, a bad memory. But if you don't hide it from yourself, if you do go through the motions, if the same way that we've talked about heartbreak, the same way that, not to say that it's the same thing, but like this ability to, allow yourself to feel the feelings, allow yourself to understand that these things impacted you and, and, and traumatized you and hurt you and, and work through them and understand them and, and take away the power they have because most people hide it and it pops out of nowhere, as opposed to if you don't hide it from yourself and you walk yourself through it or with therapy, uh, go through how this impacted you and, and understand it it's just a way of like letting, letting it go. So it has, I'm trying to think like a good analogy. If you stole something from somebody and it's somebody that you see all the time, you're constantly hiding it. You're like, you're hiding from them. You're hiding what you stole from them. As opposed to if you go to the person, you go, I have this thing. I can either buy it for you or I can give it back. You no longer are always lurking and wait and like, you know what I mean? That is such a good analogy. Is it? Yes. Yes. So, so you're just, you're constantly on edge because you're hiding this thing from your brain and everything is like, Oh, is that him? Is that, Oh, Oh God. As opposed to if you just come forward with it and go, Hey, I have this, I can either pay you back. And like, and you just face the, what you've not what you've done because trauma isn't your fault, but like you face the reality of this situation you no longer are hiding behind corners. You're no longer worried what people are going to say to you. And it, you just, I'm not saying it's easy. And if it was easy, everybody would do it. I think you refeel the feelings that you felt and nobody wants to feel that they're horrific. Um, but it's a safer place for you to process these emotions. So what they're saying with, with um, EMDR is that by both having these eye movements that happen, um, you're not, you're not, it has an impact of processing it, but it lessens how traumatizing re re-experiencing it is because you're not having your full attention on it. So I can kind of, they basically says it, it, it's eight phases. The first one is history and treatment planning, um, including just like talking about the trauma. Then there's the preparation. You learn the different ways that you can cope on your own. So like deep breathing, mindfulness. Um, so they give you tools outside of this. Then um, the assessment, you identify the specific memories 
and associative components like physical sensations um, that are stimulated when you concentrate on the event. And then four through seven are just the treatment. So they ask you to focus on the negative thought, memory, or image while simultaneously having you do specific eye movements. So somebody's like either holds a finger in front of you and they're doing it at a certain pace. Like I watched a couple of videos to kind of understand it. Um, and you can also include um, tapping or other movement movements mixed in depending on what your case is. And then next they'll ask you to like, let your mind go blank. And then you notice the thoughts and feelings that are coming up spontaneously afterwards. And then they might ask you to refocus on the traumatic memory or a different traumatic memory. Uh, and then of course, if you become distressed, the therapist helps you come back to the present moment and feel better. But over time that you'll be less and less affected by it. And then after they ask you to evaluate your process, basically to probably see how far along and how many more treatments you need. Are you like in effect being hypnotized? I don't see it as this didn't come across as hypnotized to me. It came across as um, almost the same way tapping felt like being annoying. It felt like you couldn't fully focus. And then because you couldn't fully focus, you, you weren't, your body isn't completely immersed in this traumatic event. Okay. So it's still That's kind of how anchoring I, you into your presence, your present day, your present being. Yeah. While you go and revisit this horrible thing that happened in the past it's still kind of like, um, you're still actually present. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it's still kind of reminding you you're here. Yeah. I, that's, I think that's exactly what it is, is that it, it keeps you, because I think what happens, especially with PTSD is that you're like, you're consciously transformed back to this bad memory and it feels exactly like it's happening right now. And I think that's what people don't understand is like, it's clearly not happening, but everything about your mind and body it feels like it's happening in that moment. And that's why it can be so detrimental is because it feels like you're, you're having this thing happen to you over and over again when really it's, it's, it's not. So I think there's the safety aspect of it, but it's also, um, I guess, letting your mind or your body know that you're safe. And it's like a safe way to revisit these memories and then I guess process them because that's the reason people avoid processing them is it doesn't feel safe and it feels awful. And scary. Do people know what memories, because this is the part that I went like, I think it's interesting because half the time people don't remember something that happened to them just because they've just packed it away so, so far down. So some memories can come back through this, um, but it's for people that know what their trauma is. Like you, you can't be somebody that like, I don't think you use, like this is specifically for PTSD and traumatic events. It's not for somebody that, um, is trying to recall something that happened. Uh, maybe you I might find more out after a night of drinking and then yes. like, I'll just EMDR this back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll find out where I left my credit card. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, this is specifically for trauma um, as opposed to certain types of other therapy might help you um, uncover uh, hidden memories or, or things that have been suppressed. I'm not saying parts of the traumatic thing might not come out, but this is somebody that like is too scared to revisit these things or has trouble revisiting these things without being tri triggered. Sorry, I just pictured myself as an EMDR therapist, but doing it all wrong and like, <laughs> like this person's bringing up their memory and then bring them back instead of like eye movement, I like pop a balloon and then just, I just kind of re-traumatize them with something. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're like, tell me more about this clown. <laughs> 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 um, 
Yeah. So, so this to me is specifically for like traumatic events that you, you know, have happened as opposed to some people will recover traumatic things that they repressed or, 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 or didn't fully understand. Oh, so just, you know, EMDR can cause heightened awareness. Um, and, and that doesn't end um, and, and, and heightened thinking. And that doesn't just end immediately when the session is over. So that can, can cause more distress. And then um, it can cause lightheadedness and vivid, realistic dreams. So for the most part, it is very safe. Oh, and then they also say this is specifically not for people that have suicidal ideation because it can cause it to get worse. I think this is a very specific type of therapy of somebody trying to get over, like I said, uh, a certain event. I I don't think it's something I need, but I found it, I don't know, really fascinating and, and something that I've only recently learned about pretty much because of this podcast. It's really not something I've ever heard of. And I can think of so many people that it would be really helpful to. And I, I guess I therapist about it or would she be like, Oh, that like, uh, I, I haven't brought it up because that's not something I would look into. It is weird that I was doing the research and I was like, well, if something super traumatic happens, I will be sure to remember this therapy. Like I, I really was like, like, well, this is just good information for the future. Like, because <laughs> wow. like I don't, I just, I don't know. Life is hard and shitty things happen. Um, Should we end on that note? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I would. I you know, uh, we already had uh, one fan uh, write in and, and tell us more about um, EMDR. If you guys have more questions, if you have more experiences, we would um, love to hear about them. You can email us at two non doctors. That's two non four doctors at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. I'm having a mint emergency, Elizabeth. Jesus. (laughs)